The views and opinions expressed on this show are those of the sponsor, Christina Leavenworth with Levin Rinky Realty. Just know you're not alone Cause I'm gonna make this place your News Radio 92.3, informative, local, dependable. You're listening to the Pensacola Expert Panel Pep Talk on 92.3. I am your host, Jake. I am very excited. When they told me I was going to be interviewing Christina Leavenworth this morning, I was like, oh, I got an easy morning. I'm just going to sit and learn because I got to tell you, I've been here for five years. Me and my wife are saving up a down payment for a brand new house. Well, not brand new, but new to us. And I'm going to call you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm going to bother you. I'm going to call you and not let you go until you find us the right house, which I know you can do. And I've learned so much about your business. And the one analogy that keeps coming to mind is if, if you own a baseball team and you're about to get somebody on your team, do you want the guy that hits five, 10 home runs, even a month? Or do you want one that hits, I don't know, 230, 250 a year, something like that? I would want the guy that, that pretty much knocks him out of the park all the time and you are crushing it right now uh christina it's just it's just amazing to 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 learn about your business and hear about you and to meet you in person uh just so professional and so great and warm and thank you for making me feel good on my first week uh hosting the show um and you said you wanted to do a market update to to open the show and you've got a guest with you today yeah. so i'll just go ahead and let you take absolutely. over absolutely i love that analogy i love it all. i love you already yeah so the market interest rates dropped a little bit last week and we've seen definitely more buyers step forward because of that homes are moving a little bit faster again uh but yeah i mean during the holidays we typically do see a slowdown we're back to that seasonality that we see uh as we get closer to thanksgiving then it picks back up again after thanksgiving and then of course around christmas and New Year's slows down as well. But today I brought on Bentley Fisher. He is an attorney here in town and he does a lot with trusts as well as title work. And I just, you know, it's fun here to talk to you guys about pretty things you can do to your house, but I want to give you real tips on how to best protect your biggest like investment, your biggest asset. And Bentley is great with that. So Bentley, tell us some of your biggest tips for homeowners out there. Hey, Christina, thank you so much. Um, so... It- <clears throat> What what I think the conversation it, where where I think it's going is a little background about myself. Will's trust and estate law firm. Uh, we've been around for thirty five years now, and what we deal with primarily is the transfer of wealth at death, and a lot of that comes in with your real estate, your your home. Who does it go to? How does it get to them? Um, the P word pops up a lot. Probate. Um, is is probate good or bad? Is there a way to avoid probate and transfer it in a different manner? And so we're, we're really kind of talking about estate planning, probate, wills and trusts. And there, there are many different ways to deal with the transfer of, of let's just talk about the home. Um, I would say that right now, the most popular estate planning vehicle that comes out of our law firm is the Living Revocable Trust. And what that is, is 
I kind of describe it as a living, breathing instrument or entity that's created by a person or a husband and wife. This entity gets funded or we retitle the home to the trust. The creators of the trust can still do whatever they want with their home just because there's this what I call a superficial title change on the asset um, doesn't mean you lose any flexibility or ability to um, alienate the home in any manner. And this entity will dictate or give instruction on what happens with the home at death. And, you know, let's just say to the three kids equally. So I think I always had this notion, like with trust fund babies, the word trust was only for rich people, but it's something that an everyday person can do. And it's not super expensive. You don't have to be sitting on $20 million worth of real estate, even your home for 200000 Explain how simple it is. So the, the living revocable trust transfers the real estate after it's titled to it, after death, to your beneficiaries. So the, the distinguishing feature, and in essence, the money saving, comes with avoiding probate. So what's probate? Probate simply defined as the court-supervised process to oversee the retitling of the home, in this case, um, to the decedent's beneficiaries. <clears throat> now, the trust avoiding probate, that's where, in essence, the cost savings will come in. And, and we'll just talk about a fee structure, and this is you know, I talk with, with my colleagues and peers. This is pretty much the market standard. A summary administration or a probate for just a home is a flat fee of $3,500 at most law firms in our geographic region. A living revocable trust to set it up is going to be, for a single individual, is going to be, let's say, 1500 to 2000 And for a married couple... 2000 to 2500 um, So it, it's not that expensive up front. And to avoid even just the summary administration, the time, the effort, and that, that expense, um, the cost-benefit analysis is, is already kind of leaning toward the efficiency of the revocable trust and probate avoidance. Um, there... And this would be, this is something that I feel all the time. There are other ways to avoid probate with real estate. Have you heard of the ladybird deed? I have. So it, it's an interesting concept, and um, I like it in certain situations. But it, it, it's also a probate avoidance vehicle. It's a little less expensive, and it might be appropriate if our only asset is like our home. So the ladybird deed is a, the technical term is called enhanced life estate deed, but, but we'll call it ladybird deed. The ladybird deed is a way to transfer real estate at death, and it also avoids probate by virtue of the recitals in the deed. So Joe Smith owns his home, and he wants it to go to his, his son, Steve Smith. Joe Smith would sign this ladybird deed, transferring the property from himself back to himself, retaining an enhanced life estate, kind of the right to live there, the right to collect the profits, like all the rights you would have in real estate. And then it would say, with the remainder interest to Stephen Smith. 
So by virtue of that recital, upon recording a death certificate on Joe Smith's death, it would vest outright in Stephen Smith. And then once again, there you have kind of a probate avoidance vehicle. But kind of why it's very situational. What happens if Stephen Smith died in the meantime? You, you could create some title issues, some cloud on the title. Depending on the situation, you may need a probate just to consolidate the ownership back into Joe Smith. Um, so, you know, it, usually I like the Lady Bird deed if I have an elderly client with a, a kid, one or two kids. You know, I'm kind that's of a pretty a, simple, straightforward yeah, type thing. Right, right. right. And that, that something like that's around four to five hundred bucks, depending on the lawyer. So, so probate avoidance and, and making, I, let me just say, probate avoidance has become very popular. If you look back 50 years, everyone's estate was going through, like the entire estate was going through probate. I, I, I think I probably about 150 probates right now. I don't think one of those, maybe a handful, but that's a very small percentage. I don't, may, only a handful of those have the decedent's entire estate passing through probate. Everything is flying out because of a POD, payable on death a TOD on a brokerage, a transferable on death, some sort of lady bird deed, or the living revocable trust, and there was just something kind of out there missing, needing the probate to clean it up. But um, the the real estate um, aspect and avoiding probate with the home, it, it can be efficient. It can be, you know, we, we can do it for, you know, nice cost savings. Cool. You're listening to News Radio 923. This is the Pensacola Expert Panel. We're here with Christina Leavenworth of the Leavenworth Realty Team and Levin Rinky Realty. Also her guest, Bentley Fisher. Uh, if you want to get in on the conversation, text us at 437-1620 and we'll try to answer your questions on the air. Yeah, text us anything real estate related or if you have any questions for an attorney when it comes to real estate stuff. And one way we're able to do um, as much as we can do with a customer service we have is with a great team. And a great team includes a good lender as well as a good title company who's making sure that home that you are buying aren't isn't coming with all these unpaid bills or any claims against them and Bentley you guys have Fisher title tell us why it's so important to have a good title search so I can almost just answer this with the warning story um, there you want someone to look out for the transaction you want to make and and the title company in my opinion the job is to make sure the transactions as clean as possible you want both sides to win right the the buyer to be happy and the seller to be happy and so what the warning story i'm going to come up with not come up with that i was um near is a, a play and, and this could almost be a nice advisory warning to anyone out there doing business seeing a deal that might be too good to be true because that's the ones that are right um so the vacant unencumbered land fraud has become a big issue and there's steps that can be done from on the title company's part to have made sure that no one got defrauded but here here's how it works there's a piece of vacant property. There's no house on it. It could be valuable. could be beachfront, waterfront, a big, a lot of acreage, whatever it is. 
it's vacant and it's unencumbered. There no mortgage on it, no liens against it, what have you. Um, so the fraudster contacts a realtor and says, Hey, Mr. Realtor, I own this property. Can we list it? And the realtor is like, sure. And, and the fraudster is also saying, you know, I know the market says it's worth 700, but let's list it at 500. And then what happens? A frenzy, right? So everyone's excited. You know, everyone's in, into the game here. And all of a sudden, you know, some credentials need to come up. And the fraudster has made a fake ID even. Okay. And so everyone thinks we're dealing with the owner. Um, and we get to closing, or th these folks get to closing. And what do you know? That the wire went out with the, the buyer's money to the fraudster. And the real owner of the lot, you know, has been sitting twiddling their thumbs in Atlanta, let's say. And the deal has been a fraud from the get-go. Now, in my opinion, here comes the title company. When you have certain red flags like vacant, unencumbered land, what can be done to secure that transaction? Um, one of the things I think to do and that we would do is get on the property appraiser website, send a letter directly to the address of the owner, um, with a little pin number saying, I, we know that you're probably involved in this transaction, but please call us back and reference this letter and pin number. You know, that, that could be done. Um, fraudsters don't like to be seen. So set up a FaceTime or video call. You know, so, so like I said, there's things to be done to secure the transaction so both sides are happy. So the, the title company is not advocating for one side or the other. They're advocating for a good deal. And I think that's that's uh, an important feature. Yeah, and we're hearing about that like specific scenario happening in Florida all the time. And it's really scary and people are losing hundreds of thousands of dollars. And other things, yeah, like even, you know, if there's been a lien on the property that they won't know about, title work does that. But we have a question here. This is a couple in their 60s. They don't have any children. And they're wondering what net worth makes sense to start a trust for both parties. So... This is such a good question because I've had clients that come in in this same situation and they say, we don't really care where it goes. And then I'd pull out the probate statutes and say, well, if you don't do anything, it'll stay in the family in some manner, but it'll find some long lost nieces or nephews and what I consider, I call them laughing heirs. They don't know anything's coming an investigator finds them and tells them they're about to inherit something, you know, and then they contact the lawyer and to try to get the process started. Um, or they might want something to go to charity. They, there's something important to them. And in that case, they need to do some sort of estate planning, whether it's a will or trust. But, but back to the what's the net worth that makes sense. You know, e even the situation we just went over where all we had was a home, the cost-benefit analysis was about, you come out about, let's say, 500 bucks ahead if you do the trust and avoid probate um, over the, the will and going to probate. So, and, and that only changes because I've been referencing a summary administration, which is a quick abbreviated probate of the home, which is exempt, and, and $75,000 or less in other assets. Once we get into what's called a formal administration, 
where we have the appointment of the personal representative, or a lot of people know that term as executor. Other states call it executor. Um, and the lawyers involved, and we have the whole court process to deal with that, let's say, takes a year. Um, the, the costs go up exponentially. And so it, it, it would just be something I would leave in the client's ball court, a, a, a will, kind of like a set it and forget it, couple hundred dollars to do that and then the probate happens on the back end um so i i, I really don't have it's like a, a peace of mind yeah thing more i really than don't have like a net worth threshold to, the the times i would say i would force the trust like kind of take it out of the client's discretion is if they own real estate in more than one state and the reasoning there is because um real estate would trigger a probate in every state it sits in unless it's wrapped up in not in the individual's name, i.e. titled to their trust. And it makes sense to avoid multiple probates. Um, it's just costly and time consuming. So title searches, are they free for everyday homeowners? That's also an interesting question. So in the course of business, um, the, the contract comes in from the realtor and we... I usually do a precursory review of just the chain of title. Um, a lien search is ordered, so you kind of use a, a third-party vendor that specializes in searching public records for liens and mortgages. And then um, the underwriter, ours is First American, they have a guy you know, sitting in Missouri or Kansas or wherever, and they go back and look at the chain of title for 50 years. And then all that data is compiled on a title commitment or a title search. And it kind of says the property is currently vested and hopefully the owner you're dealing with 100% and there's no encumbrances and it's free and clear to close. But I would say a, a title to, to order the title search, it's, fairly inexpensive. I think it's typically it's like, under $100. It's like 85 bucks. I I actually in with the litigation I handle with wills, trusts and estates, I will I routinely order a title search on the property not for purposes of closing, just for informational purposes or discovery purposes. Um but but it it, it is fairly inexpensive and I think the municipal lien search which searches kind of public records in the county to make sure there's not a mechanics lien or you know another one that's come up is you know an heir received the property and they're selling it after the fact but they were in essence a criminal in a you know not a former life yeah. but earlier in life and there's all these court costs and restitution liens against it and that has to be dealt with too um it, it's not necessarily an encumbrance on the property but once those pro like the title company has a duty to pay those off with the proceeds that they hold in escrow. For everyday homeowners, like if you're trying to buy investment properties or whatnot, it's usually best to partner up with a title company and say, hey, do you mind running a quick title search for me before you make an offer on that property? And we can help you with that. If you have that relationship there, uh, they'll usually help you out. That's right. Um, 
you know, speaking of investments and stuff, have you talked about 1031s on the air recently? I don't know if I had, but 1031 exchanges are a cool little avenue that a lot of people use if you are an investor and you're selling something and you don't want to pay capital gains right away. Talk about you what just, a 1031 if, is. That's right. I, I would think you, you are an investor because one of the elements to make it a valid 1031 exchange is that the property you're holding was for business or investment purposes. And just a quick hypothetical, the business or investor bought the piece, bought their office for a hundred thousand. Five years later, it's worth 500,000. I know that's an awesome gain in mm -hmm. five years, but you know, it, it'll drive the point home. He wants to, in essence, parlay that property that the proceeds from that property into another office because let's say he was expanding and busting at the seams if he didn't engage in the 1031 he would owe 20 percent on the appreciation so 20 percent of four hundred thousand. but if he engaged the 1031 process he could use that whole five hundred thousand into a new business property or investment property uh, and in essence, defer that capital gains um, tax hit until a later date, or he could keep deferring till death when the real estate would get a step up in cost basis to current fair market value and never incurring the capital gains tax hit. And for everyday homeowners, uh, the federal law protects you as far as homestead exemption. There, where, yeah, if you bought your home for 200000 and now it's worth 400000 you will not pay capital gains taxes on that. It's two fifty per person and up to right. 500000 per couple. So let's just hit homestead. Yeah. Homestead, Florida homestead is the crown jewel of all asset protection in the entire country. I, Texas also has similar homestead protection rules. Um, so... You can never like, and, and this is kind of a tricky term because there's so many different homestead, just saying that without giving a little synopsis on what type of homestead protection you're talking about can become confusing. So here's the ones I know about. You can never be forced to sell your house to satisfy a judgment. So that's saying your homestead's exempt from legal process. Like bankruptcy. Yes. Um, or your you know, car accident, you hit mm -hmm. the bus of gamblers on the way to Mississippi and you get a $3 million judgment against you. Um, your home will be exempt from that lawsuit. Um, you get an ad valorem tax exemption on your homestead. So my numbers might be off here a little bit, but $50,000 off your assessed value, which I don't think is the big benefit. The, I think the big benefit of the ad valorem tax exemption is the amount in which you can be assessed can only go up at a rate of 3% a year. Yeah, that's huge. That's the big one, in my opinion. Um, okay. Yeah, that's huge. And this is something that, as a team, we remind you after you buy your house, like, go file that homestead exemption. And we always tell you to do that because it's going to do those things for you. It's great to have. And when you sell your home, you're not owing a ton in taxes for the most part. That's right. Then you have the devise and dissent homestead rule. Your homestead, you don't have free will and discretion to give your homestead to whoever you want at any time. Your homestead, if you're married or have a minor child, must go to your spouse in some respect, whether it's a life estate or a half interest. 
and the remainder interest to your minor child. Um, so there's these divides and dissent laws on what you can do with your home at death, especially if you're married and and have a young family. And then the one we just hit on is the the federal. So this is everyone in the country, the federal homestead tax exemption. If you've lived in there two out of the last five years mm-hmm. and you're married, up to a $500,000 gain would be exempt from capital gains tax. And if you're single, that's two fifty. All right. I think we're wrapping up. If you ever have any real estate questions, any time of the day, not just during when the show is on, you can text 378-1260. Call my team anytime. We want to be your people for anything house related you need. Yes. This is the Pensacola Expert Panel 92.3, informative, local, dependable. I'm your host, Jake. We were here with Christina Leavenworth and Bentley Fisher. Thank you for your texts. And we'll be right back with more Pensacola Expert Panel.